Are you struggling to pay for your IVF treatment? Access My Super is here to help. At Access My Super, we understand that your fertility process can be expensive and take time, which is why we are here to assist you in the early release of your super to help pay for your treatment. With a one-off fee of $549, our team will handle your application no matter how many cycles you go through. Visit our website at accessmysuper.com.au or contact us on 1-800-845-121. Hello everyone and thanks so much for listening to All About Fertility podcast. I am Ella, I'm your host and today we're speaking with Gabriella Rosa and she is a world-renowned fertility specialist, author of four books on natural fertility solutions, including two bestsellers. She's the founder and clinical director of the Rosa Institute, which is an organization dedicated to helping couples create healthy babies despite previous challenges. Now, Gabriella has developed a unique program called the Fertile Method, which has helped thousands of couples all over the world achieve their family dreams. She's a Harvard graduate and the list of her credentials can go on for miles. Now, we're going to unpack a few topics today, so let's get into this. Welcome, Gabriella, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Ella. It's lovely to be here. So look, we haven't met, but I've met a few people now, and not from industry, from other areas while I was networking at networking events and they've all said that I had to meet you and I can completely understand why because I love your passion, your drive and what you do. So for our listeners, can you just tell us a bit about yourself and about the Razor Institute? Oh yes, absolutely. Look, I have been helping couples overcome fertility problems you know, for uh, 20 years now. In fact, uh, next year marks my, 2021 marks my 20th year as a clinician and as oh. a result, absolutely, as a result of obviously being around yes. for a little while, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. we've, we've managed to support, you know, lots of people. We've, we've got a program, which is a free program that we run online called the Fertility Challenge. And we've taken now over 137,000 people in more than 100 countries through that program yeah. and, and other programs as well. And so, you know, I, I get to see lots of different situations and hear and understand a whole lot about, you know, what people are going through when they're trying to conceive. In our clinic, we focus on helping couples who have been trying for over two years or have experienced, you know, miscarriage in the past or typically who have gone through lots of different types of treatments and nothing has worked. And, you know, it, it's a privilege really to be able to hold people's hands from beginning to baby and be able to show them a different way of achieving and creating the results that they want and of course creating the healthy family of their dreams so it's a it's a it's a huge privilege and honor yeah definitely now I used to work for a hospital in Melbourne and before we get into it I love speaking to clinicians and hearing their backstory and why and how they chose their specialty so can you tell me how did you get into fertility it's such a funny story because I used to work, as I was studying, I used to work for an obstetrician gynecologist and, you know, it, it really was not the intention. I actually was really interested in paediatrics and I wanted to specialise in, in helping, you know, kind of um, focus on healthy children and, and healthy babies and, and well babies and, um it didn't quite work out that way because my boss at the time, he turns around, he was a gynecologist and obstetrician, and he basically turns around to me when I said to him, I said, I think I'm going to specialise in, you know, paediatrics. And he goes, that's the worst idea you've ever had, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> Tell me what you really think. You know? He knows you then, right? <laughs> he goes, you know, I said, okay, Jim, can you please just, like, let's unpack that yeah. uh, assertion. And tell me why you think that. And he goes, well, first of all, your patient is not your patient. It's the pair of your patient. Very true. And your patient can't speak. They can't tell you what's going on, mm. what's wrong. You know, it's really difficult to treat babies. I'm like, oh, you've got a point. You've got a very good point. And so I, that took me back to the drawing board, quite frankly. And at the time I was like, okay, well, I don't really know what I'm going to specialise. I knew that I wanted to specialise in something. You know, I wanted to really dig deep and 
really focus my not only my training but also my expertise mm. you know as a as a clinician in an area and and really to be able to have a very specific you know measurable result because sometimes you know when you're treating people for for well-being for example you know they might come in because they've got a you know their energy is not quite what it needs to be for them and and then all of that is very subjective you know it's very like did you get a result or did you Mm. not get a result it's very difficult to measure and and if so how do you quantify that result you know how do you quantify how much improvement a person has had based on the fact that that assessment is completely subjective, you know, for the most part. Mm. And, of course, other than the fact that, you know, when there are very specific things that are that are wrong um, functionally or pathologically, then it's different. But, you know, for the most part, if you ask somebody, you know, on a 0 to 10 scale, tell me, you know, what are your energy levels? They're going to tell you one thing one day and another thing another day. Yeah. And even if four months passes, they're going to completely forget the fact that they didn't feel all that great. And it may have been that that day they didn't feel great because they didn't have enough sleep that night or mm. whatever it was, Right. And so I was like, okay, this whole kind of wishy-washy, not really sure if you get a result kind of thing isn't for me. So I did something that I can quantify. Yeah. And uh, and that was, I was studying and one day I was just kind of going to, you know, do clinic hours. You have to do so many clinic hours in order to be able to um, graduate. And I was going past on the stairs on the way up to clinic and there was this little poster about, you know, volunteering at a natural fertility clinic. And I thought, okay, well, that sounds like what I'm going to specialise in, fertility, right there. Mm, <laughs> and, uh, and literally it was that kind of, you know, moment decision that I just went, yeah, I can see myself doing that. And it kind of related to babies anyway. Yeah, yeah definitely. Right, because it, uh, it's... creating them, right? Healthy babies, absolutely, and, and bringing healthy babies into the world. Mm. At the time, I didn't really have quite the focus. You know, like, yes, we, we ha- I had people who would come to me who, you know, were trying to conceive and who wanted to be pregnant and perhaps, you know, had been trying for a year or, you know, up to a year and a half to two years. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until much late. And so, you know, that was kind of, it was more of precon- preconception preparation type focus that I had in my very, you know, first few years in clinic. Um, but then about, I think it was, it was about three to four years uh, maybe a little bit longer, but, you know, kind of like it was definitely no more than five years into doing what I did. I had a couple who came in because they had been trying to conceive for 10 years and wow. that was the longest at the time. I remember, wow, you know, that's a long time mm. to mm. hold the wish for a baby and to, you know, they had already by that stage done three failed IVF cycles. They mm. really didn't want to be doing more. Mm. Um, I mean, since then, of course, you know, we've t- treated people who not only have been trying to conceive for much, much longer, i.e. double that amount of time, mm. but also, you know, people who have gone through and had 20 failed IVF cycles before coming to us and conceiving naturally. But, you know, at that point, it was a turning point for me because I thought, well, 10 years of trying to conceive is such a huge amount of time, yeah. you know, and uh, and I'm really not sure if we can help them get pregnant naturally, which was what they ideally wanted. But they also knew that, you know, they were older and there were other factors that were getting in the way for them. And so they they were realistic in the sense that they said, look, I want to do the best that I can to improve my chances of IVF working. And I'll talk a little bit more about that because there's been some really interesting um, retrospective analysis actually in infertility and reproductive medicine that shows, you know, the, this whole correlation between number of cycles and, and taking home a baby. Mm-hmm. But um, for this couple... Um, they were, you know, kind of almost wanting preparation for conception f- through IVF and we did what it is that we needed to do and they actually ended up conceiving really quickly oh, wow. uh, at three and a half months after starting the treatment and I was like, well, that's wow. really like after 10 years, you know, uh, of doing this, I was like, I-, I was really, I was a bit, I don't know, like I, w- I was encouraged. That's like a miracle. Yeah, it was like I was in, I was a little bit in disbelief and it was, you know, and I thought, oh, surely this is just a one-off, you know, like this is just, it, it's one of those things. That's just, it got, it was random luck, you know, um, my, my thinking at the time. And, of course, since we have done it so many hundreds and, in fact, thousands of times, 
for couples in similar situations that I go, okay, well, there's no random chance here. It's definitely a very replicable uh, process if, you know, done correctly. And so it's it, that's really what... I guess, got me started, but also what got me really interested. And after treating that couple, um, what ended up happening is that I started to, I guess my confidence, you know, was boosted in the fact that, okay, if it's possible for them, it's clearly going to be possible for a whole lot of other people as well. And so we started to have different conversations, you know, with people who were trying to get pregnant. And, you know, I started a newsletter and there was this whole kind of um, focus that I then started to have in terms of, of education around fertility and certainly for specifically for couples who were trying to conceive without success. And then, of course, in 2011, I decided to take that even one step further than that and we launched the Fertility uh, Challenge you know, program, which now is the one that has taken so many people through that understanding of what it is that they can do. Because you see, what a lot of people don't realize when it comes to fertility is that the outcome that you're dealing with, whether it's, you know, lengthened time to pregnancy, whether it's infertility, whether it's recurrent miscarriage, all of that is actually an end result. It's an outcome. And it's an outcome of a biochemical chain reaction that starts way before, you know, an egg and a sperm actually meet. And that biochemical chain reaction will dictate many things in the development of sex cells of, you know, the egg and the sperm, as well as, of course, later down the track, when the sperm and the egg do meet, whether that will develop into an embryo that's viable to create a healthy baby. But, you know, we see the beginning of that chain reaction, we see the end result, i.e. the outcome that we're dealing with. Uh, What's difficult to see and difficult sometimes to really get a, a very close grip on is what's happening in the middle you know, of that of that chain reaction. And for many, many, many couples, um, nobody really ever takes the time to stop to really inquire and correlate the different aspects of what you see in the, you know, almost kind of in the in the inside or the beginning of that kind of chain reaction. And then of course, uh, what is happening in the in the outcome of that chain reaction. So a lot of couples as a result get diagnosed with which is what I think is probably the worst possible diagnosis for 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 infertility. You know, unexplained infertility. You know, I often talk about the fact that oh, absolutely. Very you know, frustrating. I often talk about the fact that it's a. It, it's, it's not unexplained. It's just that nobody has actually taken the time to explain it, you know. There's no such thing in my in my mind, really, and in my clinic I've, I've proven that to be true many, 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 many times over. There is no such thing as unexplained infertility. There's always a reason. And sometimes, you know, there are multiple reasons and there are multiple obstacles and, and what I call minor factors that are getting in the way. Mm-hmm. You know, we know from epidemiological research of populations around the globe that when a couple is at peak fertility, we have an average of three months time to pregnancy literally it's have sex get pregnant have a baby done we're no longer having this conversation Mm -hmm. when we're still having this conversation it's because there are obstacles that are getting in the way in that biochemical pathway and we know again there's mathematical models that have been built on this that show us that essentially if you add one minor factor and the minor factor can be anything from you know irregular cycles to low sperm count fertility morphology you know to any diagnosed condition, that's going to basically be a minor factor or one obstacle to optimum fertility. We know that when we add just one minor factor to the equation, all of a sudden we go from an average of three months time to pregnancy to an average of two years. So there's a huge, you know, kind of compounding effect that goes on. When a second minor factor is added to that, you know, uh, situation, we then go from an average of two to seven years time to pregnancy. And a third minor factor gives us an average of 40 years time to pregnancy. That's four zero. No one has 40 years to get pregnant, really. So, you know, what we need to do, and this is what I talk to my patients about all the time, is the fact that we need to really be able to understand what are all the factors that are getting in the way and how 
how do we best address them so that we're not attempting to that in a, to do that in a linear fashion? You know, a lot of people go, oh, I'll take this supplement because I've read it on the blog or I'll go and do my exercise and I'll go and, and, and they start to do these things, but they start to do it, you know, they do a little bit of this one for a little while and then they kind of like get sick of that and drop, you know. And is that because... Sorry, is that because um, they're not seeing a result? And so, you know, we all want this quick fix. Absolutely. And that you've hit the nail on the head there, right, is because when you have a strategy that is mishmash, hit and miss, right, Mm. (laughs) it's a technical term for that. (laughs) When you have a strategy that's not comprehensive, and you have a strategy that's not really, you know, focused and, and founded on previous solid understanding about what's going on, it's very easy to go, oh, I don't think it's going to work. Or mm. you try it for five minutes and you don't see the results straight away and you go, oh, it doesn't work. Without the understanding and the knowledge that it actually takes the egg that you ovulate this month eight months to mature yeah you know it doesn't happen in one cycle Mm. it takes like from you know we're born women are born with all the eggs that we will ever have and i'm sure that in 10 years from now 20 years from now we'll be having a different conversation because of all the research that's going on around stem cells and everything else but for now it's still that it's still the fact that you know we are born with all the eggs we'll ever have and from primordial follicle which is the, the the eggs that we're born with to primary follicle it takes four months and then from primary follicle to ovulatory follicle, it takes another four months. Mm. So, you know, it's not an overnight or one month effort. It's actually a combination of a whole lot of things that you do in your entire lifetime, but predominant, predominantly in those kind of four to eight months prior to a conception that even occurs. And, you know, a lot of times what ends up happening with fertility, as you know, um, it's like oh, the woman and the egg. You know, it's it's the egg, the egg, the egg quality. You know, you've got poor eggs. Your egg quality is low. You know, you're too old. You're too this. You're too that. Whatever you know else goes yeah. on. The truth and the reality is that, be it as it may, what we know about biology is the fact that the egg is responsible for addressing many of the defects that are found in the DNA of the sperm. And if the sperm isn't the best possible quality that it can be, when it actually enters that egg, instead of that egg being able to utilize its energy production within its mitochondria for development, you know, division and development, and then, of course, if if fertilization does occur, the development of an embryo, guess what happens? It's utilizing its energy resources to actually fix DNA within that sperm. And so all of a sudden, the lowest common denominator of the the combination of those two cells is what's going to be manifest. And as a result of that, many uh, embryos that, you know, perhaps could be, yield into a baby at some point down the track don't because the sperm is not as good quality as it needs to be. How many times, you know, people go through IVF and essentially they go through a whole cycle, you've got enough, you know, eggs, and then, of course, day three comes and we have, you know, no embryos or we have very poor quality embryos. Mm-hmm. Make no mistake, that's a, a sperm quality issue. Right. And often it gets, you know, we get told that, oh, it's because your egg's not no good. Well, actually, if the sperm was better quality, then we could have had a better chance. And that's not just to be, you know, said for IVF and IVF cycles, but just in natural conception terms as well, it makes all of the difference. So I think that it's so important for men and women to realize that they right now, already have 50% of that little baby that they want to create within them and the importance of optimising those cells by optimising one's health to begin with and then, of course, drilling deeper into, you know, what are the specifics of that in terms of reproductive function is such an important aspect in not only overcoming infertility and miscarriage but creating the healthiest possible baby as well. And I think that gets, you know, disregarded so very often and it's a pity it's a real shame Mm. because then couples you know continue going around this you know kind of roller coaster right without any chance of actually being able to get off and and you know having some kind of uh, a level of balance in the process you see 
I was mentioning before this whole aspect of, you know, the number of, of cycles that are required in order to be able to take home a baby. There was a retrospective yeah. analysis that was published in the Journal of Human Reproduction in 2016. And there was 178,000 uh, cycles that were done in that analysis. And what they showed was that in order to, for a couple to have a close to 80% live birth rate, they needed on average, on average, eight fully stimulated IVF cycles. Gosh, that's so many. And uh, exactly, right? And so what happens is that you just go, okay, well, that is, I mean, in my opinion, because of the things that we see in the clinic, you know, couples who go through, even for the couples who do need IVF still, either because we've found something that precludes them from being able to have a natural conception or because, you know, they basically just decided that that was going to be the best path for them. Um, we don't see, you know, more than two or three maximum number of cycles in order to be able to get a baby. So there's a huge, uh, I guess, almost mismatch of, you know, how people are actually being prepared to undertake cycles, but also how it is that people, you know, how people understand their role in the process of optimising their chances and their results. And this is for both prospective parents, not just the woman in the process. It really depends on the fertility specialist um, and how much they actually want to do a deep dive into why implantation isn't happening. You know, I'm a big believer in you can't expect a different result by doing the same thing. And, you know, often it's just about, you know, jumping straight into another cycle and just hoping for the best. And that's the big thing. I, I think. Yeah, that's that's the big thing. I think that, you know, in terms of what it is that... You know, patients are told often it's it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. Well, actually, it's not really that much of a numbers game if you really focus on ensuring that whatever needs to be optimised and can be optimised is optimised. And also it's that whole aspect of what you've touched on before, Ella, you know, of giving it the time that it requires in order to be able to get the result. There's no, no mm. way and no point in hoping and wishing that you're just going to do something for a week or a month and you're going to end up with the baby that you want. It's unfortunate that, you know, we can't hack biology to that level, you know. Like, it, unfortunate or fortunate, yeah. really, because also there is the other consideration here, which is why... Are these people who, you know, why are people who are needing IVF needing IVF to the level that they are? Is it just because it it has become a societal, you know, situation where it's just the easy way out? Or is it because they medically really need that particular intervention? And unfortunately, it's much more the former than it is the latter. You know, it's it's the fact that, you know, people are impatient and, you know, because they're constantly being told that, oh, time is running out. You know, time is running out and, you know, your age and this and that. And it's like, okay, well, I understand that, you know, we're not going to be um, wanting to to delay. And, in fact, it's not about delaying. It's about doing the best that you can to really optimise the chances that you have of making your body the strongest and most viable that it can be in terms of conception. So, you know, but I think that it's so important to really kind of filter out some of those conversations that aren't helpful because, you know, in my clinic we don't have necessarily an age limit for people going through uh, treatment. What we do look at is, okay, where are your hormones at, right? What is happening in terms of your overall health and your overall fertility potential as a couple, not just as, you know, a woman, Sometimes I get couples who come in, you know, the woman might be older and and the man is, you know, in his 30s and has improvement that can be made in terms of sperm. Of course, that's going to make a huge difference in their ability to have a baby together, right? And so the reality of it is that it's not just to do with one aspect. It's never to do with one aspect. Whatever's going on in terms of the result or the outcome, it's always going to be multiple factors and sometimes they they seem they seemingly very very small but the truth of it is that the impact they have 
is you know it's it's magnified by each and every one of the factors that actually get added into that whole situation so we have to really take that into consideration as well mm-hmm. Now, look, as my intro said that you're an author of four books and I'm currently working my way through one of your new books, The Fertility yeah, Breakthrough. Lovely. Which is oh, lovely. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, <laughs> and one thing that's really quite clear by reading your book and hearing you is your love for educating people and letting couples know that there are other ways of overcoming their fertility issues and reoccurring miscarriage. Mm. Now, look, I'm an advocate of IVF. I wouldn't have mm. my daughter if it wasn't yeah. for IVF. Um, and I believe, but but I do believe that there are other paths before trying 100%. IVF, which is one of the reasons why I set up All About Fertility mm. Expo. Now, recently I've had conversations with a few ladies who have been trying to conceive via IVF, but they've had miscarriages and a few miscarriages, um, which is really heartbreaking because you know, all they want to do is hold their pregnancy to yeah. the end. So here are a few questions for you. Can you explain the reasons why couples experience this? Yeah, that's a really great question. And, you know, it's important to also reiterate in terms of what it is that you're saying, you know, I, I am also an advocate for IVF, right? What happens is that it's not a matter of one or the other. It's a matter of a combined approach that's holistic and that helps people actually achieve their outcome with the minimal amount of intervention needed, Right Now, of course, some people need intervention. There's just no doubt about it. It's the fact that when we are not given tools and strategies and the ability to see that there is more we can do and we're just told, you know, like, isn't it anything worse than being told, oh, no, there's nothing you can do? It's like, um, how is that even possible that there is nothing I can do? Yeah. Right. I actually, I was, I was talking to my literary agent yesterday and we were discussing the fact that, you know, we wanted to get the book, this book, this latest book, a Fertility Breakthrough, um, translated into other languages and he's going to be responsible for selling the rights. And I said to him, I said, okay, well, tell me what else can I do to help you with that? He goes, there's nothing you can do. I said, impossible. (laughs) There 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 is just absolutely zero chance in the world that there is nothing I can do to help you do that. And he's like, oh, actually, come to think of it, it's like, yes, come to think of it, right? (laughs) So it applies to every area of life. It's not just, you know, fertility. Just There's always something you can do. But in terms of your question, which is, you know, the, the reason as to why people experience miscarriage, and, you know, this is a really interesting question. It's a great question. And it's also a very complex answer to that question because what happens is, and in, in, in the book, actually, Infertility Breakthrough, I have started to outline and I think that, you know, I've, I've made it as complete as possible for, for the context of that particular book. But I've started to outline the nine category, category reasons for miscarriage. Right? And the fact that there are many different aspects that get into the equation when we're talking about miscarriage and when we're talking about the ability to keep a healthy pregnancy to term. So, you know, there are many different places that I guess people need to, when, when, when we're talking about miscarriage, by the way, Miscarriage and implantation failure are very closely related, okay? And they are because what happens is, think about it from this perspective. Whenever you, if you've gone through IVF, if you have, a, have had a cycle where you had eggs, you had sperm, and you had embryos, right? Mm. You put the eggs and the sperm together. Mm. You should end up with an embryo. And if you have an embryo, you should absolutely end up with a healthy baby at the end of that. Mm. If it doesn't happen, it's because there are factors that are getting in the way. And that's really what it comes down to. It's that whole unexplained situation that then gets thrown around. And it gets thrown around because people either haven't investigated it effectively enough to be able to actually understand what categories it may fall into, or 
they just haven't even known because ultimately, you know, most pregnancies that will end in miscarriage, end in miscarriage before a positive pregnancy test is even in place. Mm. And so, you know, sometimes the person doesn't know that they've actually been getting pregnant regularly, but they just haven't actually been able to keep a healthy pregnancy to term. Obviously, we know that very clearly when we go through IVF and we have embryos and they're transferred and nothing happens. We know that potentially we're talking about implantation failure in those cases, which, you know, whether it's a positive pregnancy test early and then ends up in you know, a, a negative pregnancy test after a little while or no pregnancy on ultrasound, then obviously we know that we've, we, you know, we've dealt with or we've experienced a miscarriage. Mm. But in terms of the fact and the, the categories that I always look at, you know, there, there's the endocrinological aspect, which is obviously hormonal. And understanding what's going on there is going to be really important. There's the anatomical aspects, you know, what's going on physically that perhaps is leading to uh, the inability to keep a pregnancy to term. And that might also be to do with uterine defects and, you know, a whole lot of other host of factors that can get into the way there. Infections is a very common, very silent and very under-investigated reason as to why people end up with miscarriages because a lot of, you know, kind of reproductive tract infections in men and women which will lead to miscarriage are silent. And so you don't really know that you even are carrying those infections until it gets investigated for no reason or the reason that you keep miscarrying. So it's always a good idea and it's something that I always want to make sure, you know, for our patients from listeriosis to ureoplasma to mycoplasma to, you know, even cytomegalovirus, which gives you, you know, kind of cold and flu symptoms to Lyme disease to, you know, you name it, immunological factors also are going to be really important. You know, and sometimes that's autoimmune. Sometimes it's to do with the fact that, you know, we are addressing miscarriage antibodies and, you know, different aspects within the actual embryonic development in itself. So autoimmunity and, and autoimmunity are both going to be a problem because obviously the embryo is a foreign body to the mother's body until finally it becomes not, mm. <laughs> you know, it becomes kind of acceptable. And so immunological aspects play a huge role and we, we really do focus on, on those aspects very, very closely in the clinic because they're such an important part of the process. Then, of course, there's genetics, you know, genetic factors, things like MTHFR, things like, you know, factor five Leiden, things, you know, there's lots of different, which cause thrombophilias and so on. So, you know, there's many different factors that need to be taken into consideration. And of course, there's male factors that are often very much disregarded, but really do play a role in terms of miscarriage. In fact, there have been studies that show that 50% of miscarriages actually happen because of male factor. And that would be, you know, things like low motility, morphology and high levels of DNA fragmentation. So male factor is definitely going to be extremely important. And then you've got reproductive toxicants. You know, we underestimate and disregard greatly the impact of environmental toxins, you know, from occupational therapy, occupational exposures to, um, you know, perfumes that we put perfume on our, on our bodies, you know, yeah, absolutely, because they're volatile organic compounds. They're usually dangerous in terms of the fact that they are chemical and chemical exposures will often lead to, you know, perfumes, cleaning products, pest control. You know, all of those things are endocrine disruptors. They disrupt the way in which the body responds and hormones are built, you know, kind of made and, of course, transported around the body. And uh, and there will definitely be plastics. Plastics is a huge reproductive toxicant that makes a huge, you know, obviously most people have heard of BPA yeah. in this setting, in this scenario, phthalates and plasticizers, you know, anything that makes plastic soft, um, you know, all of those types of things fall into the category of, of reproductive toxicants. And there will be a huge, like nonstick um, coating in pants. They have been directly linked to miscarriage risk. You know, and so a lot of times, I mean, people that you walk into their houses and you see their nonstick pans on the stove and, you know, so on and so forth. And it's most people. So it definitely plays a huge role in terms of all of that. And of course, you have in that same category, you've got things like heavy metals, you've got heavy metals like antibacterial. Yeah, absolutely. So things like lead, mercury, arsenic, they've all been shown to increase the risk of miscarriage. Okay. 
Yeah. So things like antibacterial agents, you know, I mean, we're leathering ourselves with, uh, what is it, um, hand sanitizers these mm. days. Mm. All of those types of things are going to fall into this category for sure. So it's better to wash your hands with soap, you know, as opposed to being, you know, using things like those types of uh, sanitizers and so on. So, you know, there's lots of different things, smoking, passive smoking, alcohol, all of these things will play a role in terms of uh, miscarriage and increasing miscarriage risk, both in a direct way and an indirect way. You know, in a direct way, obviously, being the fact that it will affect the, the carrier and the mother and, of course, the development of the embryo, but also in an indirect way in, in the fact that, of course, it will impact sperm and, therefore, it will indirectly but also directly impact the ability to keep that pregnancy to term. So, you know, there's lots of this, and this is why, like, it's not so easy to just go, oh, okay, you've had a miscarriage, ask two or three questions, and now we know why. It really requires a lot of kind of fine, fine tooth comb, you know, type uh, assessment to be able to really correlate what's going on for that person in that situation with the types of uh, predetermined profiles genetically and otherwise that are present in that particular case. So that's where it becomes very much detective work. You know, it becomes really kind of very systematically and methodically going through. You know, we build, we, we build for our patients, we build tables of correlation for everything that they, they bring to the table to us. You know, they go through some very comprehensive assessments. We get testing done and we're then really are able to look and put in place, okay, what is it that is happening in this particular situation that we need to know about? Sometimes we find lots and lots and lots of gaps you know, sometimes we don't know what's going on because there are so many gaps. And then the job is to really kind of fill in those gaps, right? But it's important. It's, a, it's an important job to do because otherwise you don't really know. It's what I always talk about, you know, this whole aspect of um, when was the last time that you fixed the problem that you didn't know you had? Uh, it's very difficult. Like I, had a, I had a leak in my, in my bathroom uh, one time and the, the plumbers come in and they're telling me that it's the, the toilet that's leaking. They replace the toilet, replace the toilet bowl, reseal the whole thing. It's come, come back three days later, it's still leaking. Then they're telling me that they need to actually, you know, um, remove tiles from the wall, go from the outside, bring special machines, this and that and whatever else to see where the leak's coming from, you know, all of this. And I'm like, no, we're not going to do that because I don't have any tiles to replace the tiles that you are you know, intending to take out of the wall, off the wall. And I said, leave the toilet out. Let's just see what happens. Let me see where the water's coming from. At least we'll have a better idea. Mm. So we did that. And a week later, we had gone on a holiday actually for a week. And we came back a week later. The whole thing is completely dry. I was like, okay, good. This is good news. So now we're going to be able to see where this water leak is coming from. Mm. And go and have a shower. Don't think any more of it. The set, like, honestly, 10 minutes into the shower, I see the floor bubbling up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, so it turns out it's not a toilet leak after no. all. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a shower waterproofing leak, yeah. you know. And, uh, and so this is a, it's a great analogy because how often do we try to fix problems in terms of our health, in terms of our fertility, mm. when we think we have one type of problem, but actually the problem is completely different to what we think that it is. And we, don't, we would never really find out if we didn't take the time to, to get curious, to explore and to really dig deep into what's actually happening. Yeah, you, you've certainly given us food for thought and so much to consider that we can, you know, start by making these small adjustments in our everyday life. We've spoken about, and I'm pretty much sure most of my listeners know that I'm currently on my own fertility journey with IVF mm. and I'm quite conscious about how I react to my surroundings. Now, I'm I want to enjoy the journey and not necessarily think or concentrate too much on the destination, meaning holding baby in arms. Obviously, I, I want yeah. that, but I am really conscious that I don't want to miss out on learning new things, you know, or forgetting about enjoying my family Absolutely. in the present time now. So I want to touch on mindset. Now, after a few failed rounds in IVF um, in May and June, 
you know, now I'm in a completely different headspace. I'm much more happier and and positive. But after reading a chapter in your book, I decided that I wanted to take a closer look at why I was feeling so different compared to back in May and June. And I wanted to um, think about the contributing some of the contributing factors around my failed rounds and you know it came down to fear I was actually operating out of fear and I rushed into my cycles because of there was a you know uh, talks about shutting down IVF um, because of COVID and I rushed into my cycles without even thinking about my body baseline bloods or or my health in your book you talk about surrendering giving up on what you can't control. Can you explain a bit more about this? Yeah, it's a really, it's it's an interesting dichotomy, you know, because I always like the way that I approach this and the way that I teach my patients to approach it is like this, is that we want to keep the vision for what it is that we want, which is in this case, holding the healthy baby of your dreams in your arms, right? If you don't have a purpose or a reason or a why, then it just makes the the difficult parts where you're going through the challenges even more difficult. And I think you've touched on something brilliant, which is this whole idea that, you know, as much as we want to have a baby, we also want to ensure that we are present, that we are in the moment and that we enjoy the present moment because really the present moment and how we choose to feel within that moment is the only thing we can control, is the only thing we can actually, that we are in charge of. You know, whether I am in the present moment thinking about where I want to be and feeling miserable about the fact that I'm not there yet or whether I'm in the present moment and I'm enjoying you know, the, the the texture and the feeling of putting a, a glass to my lips and, and enjoying a cool sip of water, right? It's, it's like that whatever it is that you can actually in that moment focus on that's going to give you joy, that's going to bring you a level of contentment that you can experience in every given moment, in every given second, is really what's going to make you the happiest in your life because tomorrow might not come, right? I might get out, like I was talking to my neighbour this morning, we trained together, and um, she said to me, oh, my God, did you hear about this professor in some third world country who was giving a a talk on Zoom and all of a sudden she knew she had COVID, she was doing the talk and went short of breath and then all of a sudden just died in front of her students on Zoom. And I'm like, you know, whoa, that's intense. Right, 42, 42 years old, small child, you know, all of that. And you kind of go, you don't know if you're actually going to. You know, I don't know if I'm going to finish this interview, Ella. <laughs> you know? um, but the reality of it is that I can really truly focus on whatever can bring me joy in that moment, in that moment, right? So there's no point in trying to focus on it once the moment has passed. And there's no point in trying to focus on it in a minute from now, because again, that's something that I can't control. I can't control whether that minute's going to arrive or not. What I can is really focus on being in this present right now. And, you know, that is what surrender looks like. It's just focusing on what I can actually enjoy, be fulfilled and content with in this present moment. Because when I have a baby, we all know, if you have not yet had a baby, you will know of other people who have had babies. And you will know that as much as we often become infatuated with the idea of having a child, of having a baby, think about it. We become infatuated with the idea of having a baby and having a child when they behave in exactly the way that ideally we would want them to. They sleep through the night and they eat easily and they laugh and they goo and and, and they coo and they're cute and they're, you know, all sweet and loving, right? The second that that kid does not sleep for more than 20 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes all the day through the day, all the way through the day and night for, you know, eight months of your life where you're getting 30 minutes of sleep twice a night, right, if you're lucky, that becomes not so fun anymore. <laughs> right? We're not infatuated with that idea, 
right? And incidentally, that's what happened to me with my first child. He had severe reflux. We had no idea, but that's exactly what I went through. And I was like, my God, can I get this kid back now? <laughs> it's not what I signed up for. <laughs> it's like, it's a, no, it's not what I signed up for. This is not what I, what I asked for, okay? So this is no good. Um, and, and that's the thing that happens, you know, like when we, when we get what we want in the way, in the shape, in the little package that we want, we're happy. But when we don't, no matter what it is, right, it might be the biggest blessing in the whole world, i.e. a child. But if it's not in the way that you thought that it was going to be and it's actually, it turns out that it's infinitely worse than you thought, we very quickly start to find, you know, fault and resentment and whatever else. And, and for people who have been trying to conceive for such a long time and go through that, they have the potential of feeling even more, um, you know, kind of, I, I guess, um, upset about the, the whole situation because then there is this kind of level of guilt that we decide that, you know, we need to feel, which incidentally, by the way, that was the best advice my mom ever gave me. <laughs> from because in those very early days he wasn't saying oh my god it's something that I'm doing or not doing or this or that I feel so guilty that he got mum just literally said to me Gabriella stop right now like literally she just talked to me like she just gets stop right now if you decide if you choose that you're going to feel guilty about this you are going mm. to feel guilty for the rest of your life about everything so right? true. you are doing your best just do your best I'm like yeah Oh, my God. It was like she released me from a lifetime of guilt, right, oh, um, by just oh, saying those good. words, which was absolutely, which was such an, a, a beautiful thing. But, you know, that's really the, the challenge that we all face in the presence of in being confronted with what we think we want more than anything else in the world and having to work for it. You see, because what happens is that in this context, the context of having a baby, we don't feel inherently that we have to work for it. It's just a natural thing. And we get resentful about the fact that, you know, hang on a second, why is it that that person who drinks, smokes, does drugs, does this, you know, all of the, the other things, they get pregnant easily and they have a baby and I do all of the right things. I take my mm-hmm. supplements, I exercise, I eat well, mm-hmm. and this is not happening for me. And we get really, really resentful about that. Mm-hmm. And we forget that, you know what, everyone has their journey. <laughs> everyone has their specific journey that they need to, you know, uncover. And part of it is that we need to be able to learn that, just because we want something that we don't yet have doesn't mean that we're never going to have it, but also it doesn't mean that feeling bad about it is going to make it any easier or, you know, give it to you sooner. So one of the things that I talk to my patients about is this idea of, like, absolutely surrendering to the fact that you probably may never have a baby right, or another baby. And then from that place of surrender, from that place of acceptance that what is is and what will be will be, Right mm. then, from that place, do every possible thing you can to change that result and to change that outcome. Because then, what will happen is at one point, you're either going to have your result, and for as long as it takes, uh, I talked to my friends about doing this until, mm. until you absolutely have decided that, you know what, that's where I draw my line. I no longer want to keep going down this path, and I'm just going to live my life happily in the situation that I have now, or I'm going to continue doing this until I have a baby, whatever way that that is, it's going to be, right? Either way, I'm going to surrender to the fact that all I can do is my best. Hmm. And when you do that, then all of a sudden, there is never a sense of guilt, there's never a sense of regret, because you will never, when you do your very best, and you put in place everything you can and you get the support and the resources and the things that are going to help you. And, you know, you will never be in a situation where when you're 90 years old, sitting on your porch and your rocking chair, looking back at your life, that you will feel, oh, if only I had, you know, given my best or done what I could or, you know, you will know, you will categorically and absolutely know that you did everything you could and the way it turned out is the way that it turned out because, it's just how it needed to be. And we might not understand that now and we might not understand that, you know, ever. But the reality is that knowing that we've given our all and we've done our best 
is the antidote to any possible guilt or regret that we may feel in the future. And that really is a wonderful place to come from because you can then know that you can absolutely enjoy your every moment and know that that's just a part of your story and it's just a part of your journey. It is not the be-all and end-all of your life because there are other ways in which you could experience the joy, the love, the laughter, the, you know, support, all the things that you want to have that you would ordinarily get from a baby. You're just going to get it in a different way. Hmm. So, um, I mean, there are must be lots of women out there who are listening to this podcast and they are trying to conceive naturally and they are taking the supplements, they've changed their diet, stopped drinking, smoking, exercising, and still no joy. Would you say that uh, your program, the Fertility Challenge, will be a good um, a good program for them? Yeah, look, the Fertility Challenge program is a wonderful program from anyone who's trying to conceive who hasn't yet conceived and it really is a wonderful educational process and it's very transformational. I mean, we've just finished one literally uh, yesterday oh. and the the beautiful, beautiful um, thoughts and, you know, sharings that we have from participants about what they gain from that process of self-discovery and, and transformation is just, it's so heartwarming in so, on so many levels, you know. So it's, a, it's definitely a program for anyone who has been trying to conceive for over two years, no matter how they're trying, whether they're trying through IVF, whether they're trying through donor egg, whether they're trying through donor embryo naturally, you know, however it is that people are trying to conceive. If they've been trying to conceive for over two years, this program is definitely going to be a wonderful introduction to the way in which we work and, and the things that they need to know that they can implement to optimise their chances to have a healthy baby. Excellent. And when's the next one? Um, when's the next challenge starting? We typically run them. Yeah, look, it's, it, the next one this year is starting in October. So it's going to be October 7th, and I think we then have another one in December. But we publish dates a year in advance. So in January, we'll publish 2021. Um, at the moment, though, if people, you know, don't catch a challenge, the book, actually, Fertility Breakthrough, um, goes through a lot of the, the same kind of information that they would be going through in the Fertility Challenge, except that in the challenge, what they get to do is uh, people get to truly implement you know, it's, it, it makes the book come alive, so mm. to speak. So it's a really great, you know. And, and, in fact, people who participate in the Fertility Challenge, they do have to have a book because we've noticed and we've actually did this before without people having a book and the people then obviously making the book a part of the, the challenge itself. Um, and it's just people's um, gain from the challenge has just, you know, gone through the roof. And so we thought, okay, you know what, this is a really important kind of part of the process so it's, yeah, definitely people will need to get a book mm -hmm. anyway, but it's just a, a wonderful way of just making the implementation come, come alive. Excellent. And if someone wanted to join the challenge, how can they register? They can just go to our website and or Google me, actually, Gabriella Rosa. So it's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-A, -E Rosa, Fertility, and, you know, I'm sure that they will find it pretty easily. And Or just put Fertility Challenge. So Gabriella Rosa Fertility Challenge on Google. You will definitely find it. Well, I'll have all your details and the information on the Fertility Challenge in the comments section of the podcast. Well, Gabriella, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to catch up with me and sharing about what you do. It's been great learning from you and I've learned so much and I really hope that we're able to meet face to face at some point. Yes, absolutely. So thank you. I really appreciate you know being here and, and having the opportunity to educate. So thank you. Thank you, Ella. No Thank problem. you for having me. Thank you so much and take care and keep safe. You too.